Welcome in listeners to another episode of the Busby Babe podcast. I'm your host, Colin Dams, joined once again by Nathan Heinchel and Polly Questel. What is up, boys? And uh, now all three of us uh, Yeti Mike bros. Yeah, high quality audio now, all of a sudden. It's not, I, I don't feel like I'm standing there yelling into a like void of a $15 stupid microphone that I can't hear anything in. I still don't understand why my professional quality mic uh, spits out bad takes on this podcast, but we're trying to fix that. Right. It's the microphone's fault. Yes. Yes. Definitely the microphone's fault before, but now all of our takes are flawless, even the ones that we disagree with each other on. Um, That's a good way to preface probably everything that I have to say today. Flawless. <laughs> yeah. I agree with it. Uh, going right into it. Uh, we are here to recap Manchester United's nil-nil draw with Chelsea at the weekend and then look ahead uh, in part two to the uh, Champions League fixture with RB Leipzig coming to Old Trafford. But this Chelsea game, and we talked about last week, Polly giving PSG too much respect. Um, would you say that that was magnified on Saturday against Frank Lampard's Chelsea? No. I... I saw a lot of people saying basically like oh Ollie got it wrong etc I don't I don't disagree with this team selection when I saw the team I was a little shocked when I saw it you know I thought that there were changes that could have been made but overall I understood it okay um you know everybody's reaction when they saw the team was Werner Havertz Pulisic are going to kill that back line but you couldn't play Axel because he, you know, look, when was the last time you played 90 minutes of soccer? That's a, that's an actual question. I'm looking for an answer here. The last time that I played 90 minutes of soccer. Yes. Uh, no comment. It was, it was about 12 years ago. <laughs> and when was the last time you played 90 minutes of soccer without having played it in a while? 12 years ago and then whenever that offseason right. was. So, so <laughs> this happened to me a couple years ago. And I'm, I'm not trying to compare myself to a professional athlete. But this happened to me. I, I hadn't played. But he is. Right, I hadn't played 90 minutes of soccer in God only knows how long. And I played in at, at an extremely low level one Sunday morning. And I couldn't walk for days. And that's playing where when I decide I just chased that ball and I didn't get it to walk back on defense and I'm going to take the next five minutes of just jogging around and not trying. So it's not even a full 90 minutes. Axel Tonzebi just played 90 minutes for the first time in, in 10 months at an extremely high level where he could not switch off for a second. Like Against two imagine, of the best attacking players in the right, game. Right. <laughs> so I can imagine his body needs to re, need some recovery time and needs to get used to that before. And like if we were playing against uh, West Brom or... Um, uh, Everton's a bad example, but they're usually my go-to example for a team like this. Um, but if we were playing Sheffield United or West Brom, then maybe you could put Axel in there and say, like, well, now your body's got to get used to playing two games. But Roberts, Werner, and Pulisic, you probably want to give him that rest before he's ready to go back in there uh, and play twice in a week. So... You have to go back to Maguire and, and Lindelof, in which case everybody's reaction was um, we're scared of that front three running at us. That They're going to eat this defense alive. So then he he goes with the more industrious 
midfield, whose job it was against PSG to disrupt. They didn't have to worry about playing with the ball. Like, and they were pretty poor passing it. Like, the, they, they, they basically played that PSG game the way they played Liverpool at home last year, where they just, you know, I just have to make a tackle, then I just have to give the ball wide to Juan Bissaka or to Tellez or very quickly to Bruno, and that's my job. I don't need to do anything with it. So, like, the, the thinking behind it, and, like, Dan James coming in, because he can track back and play defense, he can hit you on the counter, it's logical, it's just you didn't expect Chelsea to come in and say, we're not going to play like Chelsea. We're going to sit back and we're going to let you have the ball. And when McTominay and Fred have the ball, we're not going to press them. So we're going to make them make passes. And as soon as that happened, you know, then you have to react to that because that's how Chelsea were going to play. And we didn't react to that. So I don't mind the team selection. I minded how we changed and we didn't. But do you think that that's how Chelsea expected to play? Because it wasn't that, I mean, for the first 20 minutes, they were the team on the front foot and they never really looked comfortable attacking again after that save, you know, right after Pogba and Cavani came on in the second half for maybe another five to 10 minutes when they got a couple set pieces. But this was a Chelsea team that looked ready to attack, but didn't get much going. And I, I would say Victor Lindelof and Harry Maguire put in a pretty solid performance shutting things down when they did try to go forward. They did, but this is a Chelsea team that usually likes to to get forward and bear all, and, and they, they'll send their fullbacks up, and this is why they're so susceptible to counterattacks and, and why they struggle. They have the same struggles that we do. If you let them have the ball and you sit back and you let them bring the ball up and make it and plug the middle um, and, and let them send their fullbacks up to give you width, they're susceptible to counterattacks. So... We played with our fullbacks more withdrawn. We didn't send them up much because we needed to help out Maguire and Lindelof, and we were wary of Havertz and Werner and Pulisic coming at us on the counter. And Chelsea did the same thing. So, like, when they, when you look at the first half, it just it looked like when we play Bournemouth or when we play Newcastle, it was a lot of, or you know, the game against Crystal Palace, it was a lot of lateral passes. Fullback to center back to center back to fullback, like switching the field takes two or three passes and, and the defense just moves along with you. So, yeah, this was, you know, Chelsea weren't sending men forward. They were trying to attack with that front three and trying to get them into dangerous positions. But they weren't, you know, you know, they they had the extra defender. So they had the wingbacks. So their fullbacks were able to push up a little bit. But. Everything was, you know, if Chilwell went up, James came back. If You know, it's a pulley system. And if James came up, Chilwell came back. And it was very conservative. And, it, you know, this game just reminded me a lot of the home derby against, uh, obviously against City, under Van Gaal in Van Gaal's second year, where both teams basically played a 4-2-3-1 and said, right, back six, front four. Front four, you guys do what you can do. Everybody else stays back. And it was the most boring nil-nil draw. And that's basically what this one was. Both teams were afraid of the other team hitting them on the counter. And these are two teams that have, you know, become notorious for their poor defending early in this season. And, you know, Chelsea last season for their poor defending. And that wasn't really a position that they upgraded at, save for uh, Chilwell and Thiago Silva coming into the side. Both of them playing pretty well defensively. I think Thiago Silva got a couple key stops against Marcus Rashford chances. But 
do you think that this is a game where maybe if Ollie had started Donnie Van de Beek or Paul Pogba over one of Fred or McTominay, or even instead of Daniel James and, you know, pushing maybe Bruno into a striker spot or out wide left and keeping Rashford in the striker spot and putting Pogba at the 10. Do you think that maybe that is something he should have done? Or do you think that the last 20 minutes or so of this were kind of evidence that that wasn't going to work out either? No, well, the last 20 minutes were evidence that it would have worked. I mean, we created our best chances in the last 20 minutes. We were doing a much better job. Part of that is um, Havertz and Pulisic and Werner came off the field. Like I said, it, it's you can't blame him for the team that he picked because since when do Chelsea come and sit back like this? They they don't. So I don't blame him for picking the team he picked. I my frustration is the changes. Is yeah, he should have when he when he brought on Paul Pogba, he shouldn't have taken Juan Mata. Like the problem wasn't. Um, I mean, Juan Mata made the only key chance of the game so far to that point. Right, and then and and it was it was fun to see because they did play the formation that I had been saying like let's play let's put Fernandez in the Mata role let's push Pogba up to the number ten. Um, Rashford ended up going out on the left. Cavani came in to play down the middle. The problem is Bruno stopped playing like Bruno, and you know, like Bruno is a player who when you put him in the number ten spot, all he does is drop into midfield. And, you know, that's why it works with when Mata's there because Mata drops in the midfield or the two interchange and all of a sudden they have somebody to pass to. Bruno usually drops in the midfield and it doesn't work with McTominay and Fred because then who's he passing to? Like Rashford, James, Greenwood, Martial are not great at getting themselves open to receive passes with their backs, you know, to goal. So the logic was, put Bruno there and let him play like Bruno slash Juan Mata. And he stopped. He just started playing like a right winger. And it was like, what's the point of this? And then United had the same problem that they had last year. And the same problem that they had a year before was they couldn't get the ball from defense to attack, especially if the fullbacks weren't pushing up two years ago, Pogba's game went, went into the toilet when Ander Herrera got hurt and the Matic got hurt and you're playing McTominay and or Fred next together or next to Matic instead of Herrera. United couldn't get the ball to Pogba, so he had to drop back, and then you have the same problem is, who does he pass to? Last year, they had the same problem before Bruno came. Is They struggled to get the ball. Uh, you know, They couldn't get the ball forward, and when they did, it was Pereira and Lingard, but even before Pogba came back into the team, like they struggled to get the ball to Bruno in dangerous positions. So why take out Mato? Like, they, didn't need, they didn't need that defensive like solidity. Uh, especially because McTominay wasn't playing great. Fred wasn't playing great either because we know yeah, this isn't yeah. their game. Fred Fred did, I mean, as much as he gave the ball away going forward with his passing, I mean, defensively, he made some pretty good interceptions. And, was, I, and that's you McTominay know, yeah. in a nutshell. I mean, I read an article today where they were praising McTominay's interceptions, and it was like he at one point he won the ball, or no, he, uh, De Gea gives him the ball. And he's got all the time in the world because Chelsea are backing off of him. And he his pass gets intercepted. They quickly fire a pass. He intercepts that pass and then kicked. And then his next pass is wayward. But like, great, you intercepted a pass. But like you intercepted a pass that was made because your pass was just intercepted. So like, is that great? Like that that is the problem with McTominay and Fred. And, and that's the th- like against PSG. You don't worry about that. You're, you're not you tell them like we don't you don't need to make passes like you just need to make the simple passes. But when. Chelsea are going to sit back and let you have the ball. Then you have to make incisive passes. And neither one of them are 
are great there. So they both did did well defensively. They both did well at winning the ball back. But then what they do when they won the ball back? They gave it away. So, you know, I I personally thought um, McTominay should have came off. I saw some people being like, I'm shocked that Fred's going to get the entire 90 minutes here. And I can understand that argument, too. So one of those two should have came off. And you bring on Pogba. You leave Mata and Fernandez up up the pitch. And you're covered defensively a bit. To be honest, when they brought on Greenwood, it was Bruno who dropped back and Pogba stayed forward. So maybe you do it the other way. You know, maybe you Pogba comes on as the 10 and Bruno drops back and Mata's out there on the right wing. That was the change that I that I felt needed to be made. You needed to make the game more attacking, and they, they just didn't. They, they brought on attacking players, but how useful can they be if you can't get the ball to them in dangerous positions? Nathan, I know you didn't get to watch the game live, but I am assuming from the extended highlights and other bits and pieces of the game that you were able to watch that the last 20 minutes of action was the most of what you saw from United's attack. What do you think that Edinson Cavani offers this team that maybe wasn't available to them earlier in the game or in other matches this season? Yeah, um, to, I guess, start it off, uh, like Colin mentioned, I'm doing my best ESPN FC impression, and I only watch the highlights, and I'm going to make sweeping judgments based off of that. I'm doing that my are best. entirely based about Paul Pogba. Yep, I'm going to do my best Craig Burley right now. Um, but as far as uh, Cavani, we had talked about it. Um, was that in the lead-up or post-PSG? It already seems like a lifetime ago with everything else I had with uh, work. But the the whole idea of the best-case scenario with Cavani is he provides that that 1B to our 1A, and he you know is going to be an effective, more you know big-bodied traditional striker up up there at the top. And we had talked about potentially like with Tellez when he comes in and what he can do um, left back with his, with his crossing ability. And I think. Um, just in general, Cavani just adds a little something extra that we have been missing um, since Lukaku's been gone. I think probably, I think it's fair to say, uh, as somebody who does ballet, he's a little bit lighter on his feet than Lukaku was. But to be fair to Lukaku as well, he was carrying some additional weight and he had some dietary issues that we found out about, you know, since he's left. Um, but I, 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 just looking at those highlights too, I mean, United looked like they were more intrepid especially in the second half after those subs had been made. Um, and it, it makes you wonder if both teams were just so interested in trying to get that clean sheet against each other, why that first 45 minutes seemed to be rather tepid from both sides. Um, I don't know but, if it was so much trying to get it against each other, just like trying to get a clean sheet because they right. both desperately needed it. Yeah, and I, I think we're kind of in similar positions in, in in that way, despite, I guess, Chelsea hasn't gotten blown out by Tottenham yet. But um, other than that, we've kind of both had similar trajectories where it's just like the defense doesn't look like it's all together. But I think what was important to see from United was they did tighten it up. The defense looked solid against PSG. It got a clean sheet against a Chelsea offense that was sporting, what, uh, quarter quarter of a billion pounds? In the in the last uh, don't know. don't judge it by money. <laughs> well, we, we I have time to sit here and I said I was going to do my Craig Burley impression. I said I was going to do a Craig Burley impression. Judge it by money, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I I'm really impressed by that part. Um, 
but you know what? Credit to as far as the defenses with Chelsea, uh, Mendy had some really nice saves against Rashford, which I don't know. Maybe if there was a different goalkeeper, maybe a, a Spanish goalkeeper uh, that we know that plays for Chelsea, he maybe doesn't make those saves. Mendy so, did almost pass the ball into his own net at one point. I don't know if that was in the highlights. <laughs> like that is the thing, but like I feel like do you remember uh, Tottenham's goalkeeper Jorge Gomez? How he would he had this thing about like the most making famous spectacular, Manny goal. <laughs> but like he would make spectacular saves and then just not get to the simple ones. And I feel like there's an element of that to Keppa. Like Keppa does make some good saves, so I wouldn't. In, like and then just what's in hilariously bad goals. I wouldn't rule him out. I I too would fancy that Rashford chance um against Keppa, but I wouldn't rule out him making the save. It's just a matter of like we didn't you know we left it for one Rashford chance. And Rashford's not the guy that like you know if you're gonna leave it for one chance, the only player you want on this on this team if we're gonna be like we're only gonna create one good chance, who do you want it? That's Mason Greenwood and Marcus Rashford's one of the last players you want it like. If you're only going to give him one chance, you're not putting yourself in a good situation to win. Well, there, there was it, it was like at the end of the first and at the end of the second, Rashford had two really, I think, good looks on goal that in the first half, Mendy may, makes a foot save. And you wonder if Rashford just puts, I don't know, any more height on the ball. That's probably going in. And then yeah. I mean, there's yeah. a chance to catch Mendy out there. I mean, I don't know how Rashford is at chipping the ball. I don't think I've seen him score a goal by chipping it before, but. I mean, Mendy was kind of scrambling there. Yeah. And then the 91st minute, which is a player who finishes less than one and a half out of every 10 chances. So you're naming two chances. But if if Rashford's only going to finish one and a half out of less than one and a half out of 10, you got to give him more than two chances. And, and neither of them were, you know, I think we overrate how good the chances were. Like the XG of both of them was poor. So they they weren't easy. So it's not, you know I'm not blaming him for missing. It's if you have a player like that, that's that's your starting striker. Your starting striker is is a guy who routinely um, doesn't finish these chances, doesn't get to the dirty areas too much, which is really exactly what you need from Cavani because it took him all of five seconds to show us exactly what we were missing and exactly what. Martial's doing a better job of doing, but not doing enough. And what Rashford doesn't do at all is make a run like that and get a shot. Took I mean, that's, yeah, that's something to, that even, I mean, when Pogba came onto the pitch, I mean, we started getting the ball into the box more, but there wasn't anyone there, you right. know, and, and a lot of the times when our fullbacks get forward and send crosses in, they're looking at maybe one or two options. Right. So it, it took Cavani five seconds to show us what we're missing, but that's the whole thing is, if Rashford doesn't get to these chances, he doesn't get these high quality chances, and he's only going to finish one and a half out of 10, less than that, you can't rely on him to convert if you're only giving him two chances. And it, it just seemed like that was the plan. Um, and it seemed like that was the plan because it worked on Tuesday. And like we, we came on, we did a show last week where I, I said, it's, it's hard to criticize the result because the result worked. But I, I, I felt like we were missing – like we gave PSG too much respect and that we were missing something. You know, when, whenever we attacked them, we only attacked with four players and we didn't – like the game was there for the taking and we we were relying on, cre- on finishing off not a lot of chances for a team that really – like the reason they struggled last year was because they, they weren't clinical. They dropped a lot of points in the first half of the year not because they didn't create chances but because they didn't finish the ones that they did. 
So it, it worked on Tuesday, but I said, if you do this again, you're playing with fire. And that's exactly, you know, like it seemed like we, it's, it, it seemed like we just, we, we gave them too much respect. We, we, it's not that we gave them too much respect because again, the team selection, you, you didn't know Chelsea were going to sit back, but we didn't make any changes that we could have made. And when we did make changes, it came too late and they were initially the wrong ones. So there's been a lot of news about uh, Dutch legends of the past reacting to Donny van de Beek's absence from the Manchester United starting 11 uh, over the first few games of this season. And it's been a lot of, you know, I think Marco van Basten said that he shouldn't have made this move for whatever um, some people saying that, you know, he should be frustrated. He should be angry that he's not been giving, given his chances. What, what do you guys make of this? Because to me, it doesn't really seem like this is of Donny van de Beek's character. This is just, you know, people trying to make noise, but at the same time, you know, we, we've got a pretty talented midfielder, you know, sitting on the bench every game and uh, maybe his opportunities are going to come up you know, pretty quick and fast with Arsenal and RB Leipzig and then, you know, Everton after that and other games against Istanbul. But uh, we have yet to see him really feature in the side. And it's led us to, you know, question whether where he actually fits in this side. I mean, I, I think my initial reaction to the whole thing is it, if United has a slightly better string of result of results. I, I don't even think that this is a, a, a talking point. I, it's just simply because United are technically in 16th place right now with five games played because the table does not matter this early on in the season. Um, people are like, well, they should be playing Donny van de Beek because Shock, that's not a bigger story. Although I'm very happy for it. What that United's in 16th place right yeah, now. Actual table position. Well, I mean, I, I think the difference being is like two points separate us in sixth place Chelsea right now. So I, it's one of those. It, it doesn't matter. Someone could definitely get pissed off about it. If we win that game, we're like three points off the top with a game in hand. Yeah. And I mean, we it's it, the only reason why I look at the table at this point is just to make the cute little jokes and slack with Brent where we're like, oh, man, um, a relegation. um Relegation battle. Hopefully, we can get a plucky win over uh, a, a mid-table side in like a West Ham or something. That's the only reason why I look at the table at this point. But I, I think that's the reason why people are um, making this much noise about Donny Van de Beek. Um, I would just remind everybody two two months ago when everyone's like, "Oh, congratulations, Donny, for finally making your move to a big club." That not to say that I, I mean, that was thing that he did. United. His particular position, he's got people ahead of him that have resumes and that have played well. And so he is going to be working for his position in the team. It, he was, and every I think everybody believed at the mo at, at the time of the signing, he was a depth position guy, a signing that we needed to start making more of in various positions. Um, but it wasn't like when we signed Bruno where he immediately slots in the team. He has to give Ali a reason to play him over a Bruno, over a Pogba, um, potentially over a Fred or a McTominay. We don't know what's happening in training. Um, I tend to think that Donny van de Beek's a pretty good player, and in his small windows that he's gotten to play, he, he's definitely shown something. And so I would like to remind everybody 
that he's been a Manchester United player for two months and we did not have a preseason. So there's going to be plenty of time for Donny van de Beek to get his minutes. We're in four competitions right now. He probably just needs to work himself into the side. Yeah, there's a few things at play here. One of which is. Like when I mean, Nathan said it is, you know, we all thought he was a depth piece. It's been funny watching, you know, when Pogba started the season poorly, playing poorly in his first three games, and everybody's saying he needs to be dropped. Well, he's been dropped for three games now, and each time the team comes out, everybody goes, what? No, Pogba. It's it's clearly, it's not that people are upset. It's not that people wanted Paul Pogba to be dropped. It's they just wanted Donny van de Beek to be playing. And Solskjaer has made it very clear, you know, he sees Donny van de Beek as an attacking midfielder. You know, he has made it clear now my deeper midfielders are Matic, McTominay, Fred, Pogba. My attacking mids are Bruno, Mata, Van de Beek, Rashford plays there, James plays on the wing there. He doesn't really see Van de Beek playing deeper. And I know that he did it at Ajax. I think everybody's basing, um, you know, someone tweeted at me like Van de Beek's playing as the number eight for the Netherlands during the last international break. So I flipped on a Netherlands game and I was like, well, if he's playing as a number eight, he is the worst positional number eight I've ever seen because he's routinely the furthest man up the field. So he's probably playing as the number 10. Um, and I know he played as number eight at Ajax, but they were a little bit defensively susceptible when he did. And like Nathan has said this before, you know, you talk to people who watch Dutch football and they're like, you, he could play there, but God, it's a waste of his talent. You know, we say the same thing when Pogba plays there. It's a waste of his talent. And Van de Beek's really good at getting himself open and finding those little half pockets of space to receive passes. You don't want him back there making the passes if there's nobody to receive them. There's also the question is, how good is he defensively? You know, Pogba, like the reason that Pogba plays in this deeper role is because out of everybody that we got, except for maybe Matic, he is the best player at defending in his box. Like, you put the ball in the air, he's very good there. You know, maybe positionally he he doesn't give you some cover sometimes in transition. But once you're down there, he's very good in his own box. And then he has the passing ability to get the ball out quickly. So, the the, the when you look at it, it's like, Ali sees Donnie as a number 10. as maybe So, do you want to start him on the wing where he's not going to be as effective? And does that adapting to a new league, is that going to help him settle in if he's not playing in his most dangerous position? I don't know. Or, you know, if, if he doesn't see him as the, as, as a deeper player, maybe he says when, when I want the more attacking deeper player, I'm going to go with Paul Pogba because he's got the passing ability. He's got the aerial ability and he's got the defensive ability. If there's an injury, then maybe it changes. But for now, it's he's playing as the number 10. And who's in front of him there? It's Bruno Fernandes. And Bruno Fernandes, like Nathan said, Bruno Fernandes came straight into the team last year. That was because there was no one else. Like, I don't know if we had players performing. I don't know if Ali throws Bruno straight in. He probably, especially against Wolves in that first game where he arrived the day before, he'd probably have come off the bench. But we had nobody else. And... It was sink or swim, and Bruno swam fantastically. So there was no reason to take him out. But it was there also became an issue. It, it became really evident that we really didn't have anybody else. So Bruno had to play in every single game in all competitions. You know, Ali 
took him out after the Chelsea game. We went to Bruges and always said, you're not going to play today. And United looked like a bunch of chickens without heads until Bruno came on for the last 10 minutes. So next week, home against Bruges, you got to play. Then we played Derby County in the FA Cup. You have to play. Um, you know, the week after, Lask, away. Bruno's still in there because there was nobody else. And even after the lockdown, Norwich in the FA Cup, Bruno has to play. He didn't get a break until we played Lask again with a 5-0 lead. So we all said we needed another player because we ran Bruno into the ground and we need to be able to give him a break. Well, what's happening now? Do people want Bruno to have a break? No, they want him to be captain and playing every game. So if he's going to be playing, then Donnie Van de Beek can't play because they're playing in the same position. So but like Nathan said, yeah, um, it's a long season. We have a very busy schedule. I think if you look at the schedule this week, it was, you know, Ollie picked the team to face Newcastle and whatever. I, you know, I thought he picked Mata because of all the games you could play Mata in if you're going to play him once a week. It was Newcastle. I didn't expect him to come into the team against Chelsea. You needed a, a top team against PSG and against Chelsea. I think, like, RB Leipzig is a very good game for Bond Bake, and I always expected him to play. I think there's going to be a lot of changes there, but Ollie also needs to find a team. Like, if he keeps changing the team every game, like, that's not good for... Uh, for settling in either. Right. And you, you also don't expect this to be his team going forward either. Um, it, right. it, I mean, it's, against Newcastle, we all thought it was situational and it worked right. really well, but going against Chelsea, I think Mata was probably a pretty good choice, both in hindsight and looking ahead of that game. But, you know, we, we want, <laughs> we want to see our stars on the pitch. You know, we want to see that same energy and, synchronicity that we saw you know after we came out of lockdown and everything was you know churning and we were scoring lots of goals like half a season and Nabi Keita was broken in very slowly at Liverpool like sometimes you buy players and, and you just have to break them in slowly and and the flip side is look at Chelsea right now like Werner what does he have two goals uh in the league Kai Havertz has one you know like are they being effective so, you know, sometimes it takes a while to settle in. And the fact of the matter is, like, if you can settle in, if it's taking Von de Beek a, long, a, a while to settle in, then maybe it's good that he's uh, not playing every game. The issue is, is that, you know, we aren't winning these games, though. You know, we did beat Newcastle. Like, you would have thought Newcastle would have been the prime game to give him his first start. We didn't. We won that game. Yeah, I mean, if I can continue taking shots at ESPN FC, um, because I will, I hate that account. Um, they, they they had me all fired up over the weekend because, of course, they they post the picture of Donnie Vandebeek in the stands. You know, just he had a sullen look on his face as the picture that's circulating through all the tabloids right now. And then they, you know, did a picture in picture of that with the scoreline of the Ajax game where they're like, Ajax won you know, by double digits against this team while Donnie Vandebeek sat on the bench at Manchester United. And I... It's just so dumb. Like it. So clearly, a, I actually eat Donnie Vandebeek. Yeah, clear. I mean, <laughs> it, it's a difference of like what the league is. Like, there's a reason why Vandebeek yeah, wanted said, to move up to the Premier League because it's different. It's he's making more money. He's in a higher quality. He's in. He's gonna be in the spotlight more. Like, it, it's just such an incomparable situation, and I, I I just think it's so stupid. And so ESPN FC, if you listen to us. One, stop doing so many posts about Cristiano Ronaldo. 
um, until his legal issues are finally uh, taken care of. And two, chill out with the Vandebake and the Pogba stuff. Because at the same time, what situationally with the Chelsea game, why was why was Vandebake going to come in over Paul Pogba? Because we saw in other games when Paul Pogba's come off the bench, he out of nowhere just like creates all these chances, and we look even that much more dangerous. Like, why is Donny Van de Beek going to come off the bench in front of Paul Pogba? Um, you know, and then situationally, if all of a sudden United nick a goal, why is Donny Van de Beek going to come in as opposed to maybe Nemanja Matic coming in to shore up the defense and then get the result? Like, there's just he's just got people ahead of him that. Uh, Probably it's good Ollie. to have competition in your squad. Exactly. You like clearly, Ali just. Tr- yeah, I, I mean, mean, he he trusts the guys that he has because he's just had them longer. Like Van de Beek has been a United player for two months. Two months. And you need to factor this in. It's hard to get him to settle in because Donny Van de Beek arrived, and he did his medical in Amsterdam because he was on international duty, and then. He finally comes back from international duty and he's playing alongside not the whole team because Paul Pogba's still in quarantine. Juan Basaka's not there. Matic is wherever. So now you've got a team where Ali's got this team where he's got to throw together a team for Crystal Palace because half his team isn't ready. And, you know, you it's hard to so you, you basically want to say, well, OK, well, you guys all played. Most of you guys played together four weeks ago against yep. Sevilla. So I'm going to rely on that right now than rather you guys having to get you and you could say okay well you know you look at Timo Werner came over to Chelsea and said I'm not going to play for RB Leipzig in the Champions League so I can get used to my Chelsea teammates oh okay well Chelsea they got their they got their uh this is what you happens when you have your shit in order and you and you get your transfer business done early okay cool but like Donny van de Beek was one the earliest transfer United got and had they gotten him in two weeks prior what was he doing leaving Ajax's preseason to come run on a treadmill and do some wind sprints at Carrington because nobody else was around. So he's got to get used to his new, his new teammates. And there's like one training session in between all these games because we're playing twice a week. And Ollie's got this job on the hand of, I've got to get Donny van de Beek integrated into this team so that he learns the players' tendencies and they learn his tendencies. But also, I don't have an exhibition game to do that in. I have to also get my Matiches and my Pogba's and my Rashford's who didn't have a preseason. I got to get them going and I got to get them clicking. And when they're slow to start, I got to figure that out, like, and figure out, okay, well, I know that they can play with certain players. There's a lot on his plate that breeding in a new player may not be the easiest thing in the world to do right now. No. And we knew through the summer, we, we said Manchester United starting 11, his first choice started Ollie's first choice starting 11 was written in permanent marker. And the question marks then were who comes off the bench. So that way there's not a dip in quality inside of a 90 minute period. And so that's what Donnie Van de Beek at this point in time with everything else that has gone on. That's the best case scenario for him to be in is to be a guy that can be relied on to come off the bench until he earns a spot. Had United spent the last three months playing in the United States and Singapore and China and wherever else. And Donnie Van de Beek got all three of those months to play with the team. Sure. Maybe not just maybe, the team, the system. Yeah. Like, I mean, if he just has a preseason and we're in the same situation, he's not playing. That's when you start actually asking these questions and it's more than just getting clicks. 
then it's like, what's going on? But right now, people are just making a do about nothing. Maybe he maybe he can play. Maybe Solskjaer says eventually you can play in this in the deeper midfield role, but that's got more responsibilities than the number 10 role. So right now I'm going to, you know, I just want you to learn the system in the number 10 role, which is your natural, which is the easiest place for you to be. You know, like we saw it on Saturday with Cavani coming on for a half hour and, and you see Paul Pogba standing there translating to Cavani Solskjaer's instructions. But like that's a striker in a nil nil game that you're just, you're basically, you're telling your striker, just go out there and, and do you. And, um, and try to get a goal. Like you do, you you're you're the striker. You you basically know what you're doing. Uh, if you don't get everything totally right, that's fine. We'd want you to just go out there and be dangerous, because we're taking a bigger risk here to bring you on because we need a goal. Um, Alex Telles. That's the difference between a 33 yeah. year old and a 23 year old too. Like that's, you can, Cavani's just been there. Right. But- I mean, with Donny van de Beek, too, he's played in, I mean, he played the number 10 role when he started in the League Cup, but Solskjaer may be trying to work him into kind of what he does with Juan Mata, where he's, you know, it's an adaptable midfield when it goes into its attacking formation. And when you're in a game, too, where your focus is defense, Donny van de Beek's probably not the first person you're thinking about. And that's not just for Chelsea, that was for PSG as well. Right. But but also look at how he bred in um, Alex Telles is... He brings him on as a wing back against PSG because it's like you don't have, you know, Luke Shaw has to do a lot of things when he plays, even when he plays in that back three it's or when he plays the left back. He's got to do a lot of things. Uh, sometimes he gets all the way forward. Sometimes he tucks into midfield and plays your second holding midfielder. Um, and Bruno or like Bruno or Pogba will push forward. A lot, a lot goes on for Shaw. So let's simplify it. Hey, you're a wing back. You basically just have to get up and down the pitch. Um, you know, come back and be the fifth defender. But like when we have possession, you go up and you're the left wing and you just have to stay on that touchline. And, and it's simple. And, you know, Tellers didn't offer us anything in the final third against PSG played six, seven minutes. And now it's okay. We want to get a little bit more attacking. You took off your most attacking left back, but there's a reason for that because, you know, there's only so much you can ask him to do. And then when we go back to a back four, Tellers isn't even in the team. He's not even in the match day squad. So there's clearly like, you know, it's not just playing with your teammates. Like there's grasping the system. So like the manager can trust you. And Solskjaer's always been a defense first manager. The defense matters so much to him that, and that's why he was hesitant to play Mason Greenwood from the get go last year. Cause Greenwood had defensive was a defensive liability. So he, he gave James even more chances because James was very good defensively. If you don't get the, the defense parts right, um, he's not going to trust you. And that goes even double when his team has conceded 13 goals already or however many it is. And he's trying to fix that. I, I think uh, uh, one, we need to kind of wrap this up so that we can get to part two in Leipzig. But I think that it is definitely worth pointing out that this all fits pretty nicely into this overall narrative that Ollie is overwhelmed and doesn't know what he's doing. Because it by focusing in on these you know, minor, you know, potentially you can play it up as uh, mismanagement and player-manager conflict, which is not something he's really been exposed for before because it's, it's not really a problem. The You know, these are things... I know you want to move on. on. I have one thing to say yeah. about that. Yeah, go for it. It's what you say, like, oh, well, he's overwhelmed and doesn't have a plan. It w- I think was very clear 
in the three games this week, he had a plan for all three games was we're going to play 60 to 70 minutes like this. And then I'm going to make changes. And I know exactly what changes I'm going to make. And that's why when I saw the team sheets on Saturday, that was my, I, I had a good feeling about it because I went, Frank Lampard just put out his best 11 and that's, that's what he's doing. That's his plan. And I went, if that doesn't work, I don't know if Frank Lampard knows how to change that. And Ollie clearly has a plan here. Ollie clearly has a plan here of here's how we're going to play. And after an hour, we're going to change it in this way. I just thought, you know, your plan was based on Chelsea playing a certain way. And so your plan A was to play like this for 60 minutes and bring on Pogba and Cavani and take off Mata and and James. Like that seemed to have been a predetermined change. It wasn't, you know, James had his struggles. Mata, though, it didn't seem like you were struggling and needed to be taken off. It was a tactical move. I thought he needed to go to plan B before, you know, before he even made those changes of like, okay, wait, this game is going differently. We need to change what plan A is. Maybe I need to change my substitutions instead of taking off Mata, et cetera. I'm going to go, I'm going to do this instead. And he didn't do that. Like there was no change in, in that. So in that regard, the, the full plan had its flaws but he has had a plan in all three games of here's how i'm going to start here's how i'm going to make changes yeah yeah if we want to just tie a bow on this um it's we're recording on october 26th um by the time we hit the next break of november 7th we will play four more games um so yeah everybody's freaking out um just chill out man donnie to have started two of them yeah, I mean, we're going Istanbul, Yeah, yeah, and uh, I mean, Premier League games coming up after Arsenal that you would expect United to win and probably possess for most of that game. So potentially, uh, Donny Van der Beek coming into maybe a more comfortable attacking situation Everton against and Arsenal or someone. Both of them scare me. Well, and it, we're gonna have two weeks after that Everton game where we play against West Brom. That feels like a. You're going to have two more weeks with Donny van de Beek where he maybe then gets a start against West Brom because it, it's a quote-unquote poorer side, and you get two weeks without having to worry about a game? I don't know. Maybe that's possible, guys. I don't know if I'd rather play Everton when we are at the end of this break right now where they're missing uh, Richarlison and Luca Digne, or if I'd rather have played... And whoever else gets suspended the next time they play. Right. Or if I'd rather have played them the week after um, the international break and give like Ollie two weeks to prepare for them. Cause Ollie's very good when you give him time to prepare. And like, you saw that this week, like it was clear yeah. he knew what he wanted to do versus Newcastle and PSG. He had a plan against Chelsea. Frank Lampard just screwed it up. Put, put in twans to uh, neutralize DSL. Yeah. DCL, right. excuse me. We are going to take a break now, and then we're going to come back and preview the game uh, in the Champions League midweek against RB Leipzig, so stay tuned. And we are back for part two. So this Wednesday, Manchester United uh, receiving a visit from RB Leipzig, uh, the third member of the group of death featuring Manchester United and PSG and uh, Istanbul. So... Looking at this game, uh, we've been trying to figure out their formation over the break, and um, it looks like they've played 4-2-3-1 a couple times in a 3-4-3 in other games. Uh, So Leipzig switching things up 
uh, from last season where they had their 4-2-2-2 formation kind of based around Timo Werner with their uh, attacking midfielders, Emil Forsberg and Marcel Savitzer flanking on the wings. What do you guys expect to see um, Ole doing defensively in this to try and counter? Do you think that the back three is something he would go back to, or do you think that this is a game where maybe he'd try to push up the field and focus on the midfield a bit more? I mean, just kind of knowing what they're, the personnel that they may or may not have available to them, I almost wonder if Leipzig wants to play more of a United style where they're going to try and absorb and then counter on us because they do have the likes of, uh, you know, Justin Clivert. They've got uh, Yusuf Poulsen, um, the, this new signing that they have, Huang Hee Chan. I mean, they've got dudes who are very, very fast. And they've got sought-after defenders. Um, so it, it just makes you wonder if maybe they want to try and absorb that pressure, get the ball out to a guy like Marcel Sabitzer who can start play quickly and then get it to one of these burner guys. And so I think it's going to be one of those things where Ollie wants to make sure that he's not overextending himself uh, with that, the United attack. And so I almost wonder if we see kind of a stalemate like we had with the Chelsea game for the first 45 as both teams try and figure each other out. Cause um, I mean, for all intent and purposes, we all, I think have a lot of respect for Nagelsmann and the um, offensive creativity that he brings to his teams. Um, so I'm sure Ollie's going to want to try and suppress that as much as possible as well. Cause now that Ollie's got a clean sheet under his belt over the weekend, I'm sure he wants another one, especially in a champions league game. Yeah. I mean, that's part of the appeal of the champions league as well as teams that have never experienced each other before kind of feeling it out. And we I can't see him going to a back three though. I think the back three is overrated by a lot of people because we've gotten some results out of it. But like I said last week, we don't score from it. You know, where are the goals coming from? And again, we scored two goals, but one of them coming from a penalty. And And you don't want to over-respect them either because, I mean, exactly. We were they don't have Neymar and Mbappe, so we we don't have to worry about that. We were short a player in attack all game. Until Pogba came on all game against PSG and we had plenty of attacks. We weren't countering like we weren't getting counter attacks because even when it looked like we were breaking, we were going four V six or four V five. Like we didn't have a, a numerical advantage. Uh, like people like overrate that, like our best counter attacks come with a back four. But even then, especially at home, look at the home games that we've ever played a back three in. And it's Liverpool. City. That's it. You know, yeah, and it the, was those were situations out of necessity almost more than anything. And this is a situation where like it's also I mean, if you look at the whole list of teams that we played a back three against of um, partisan Chelsea, uh, Liverpool City, City again at the Etia in the League Cup, um, Liverpool away. We did it against Bruges, but like it's always been because people are injured. Um and I'm trying to like rotate around things. Sheffield also, but like when he goes to the three, four, one, two, that's always basically been because people are injured, which McGuire was the other day, but also we're, it's admitting you're better than us. And we need to, and like, we need to absorb and, and take it, you know, Liverpool city, et cetera. Like, so you can't do that against Leipzig. You can't go at home, you can't come out and say, oh, Leipzig, like, we're admitting you're better. So, like, he, he'll go to the back four. Maybe Twanzebi comes in and plays against Maguire and plays with Maguire. Maybe Maguire gets another break. 
you know, we signed you to get us to the Champions League, not playing it, Harry. Um, you know, Lindelof actually, Lindelof I thought played very well against Paris, but I also think like Lindelof's a continental defender. Playing in Europe is like more suited to his game than playing in the Premier League. So maybe, so Lindelof, you know, who knows? But I think it'll be a back four. I think Tellez will come in so that we could push him up and actually get that. I think Cavani makes his first start so you can utilize Tellez whipping in crosses. Um, yeah, I, I mean, think about who you are. You're Manchester United. You can't be scared of RB Leipzig. If you're trying to a cultural reboot, it's one thing to admit, like, okay, like, we're short players and we're facing Liverpool who are, on a, who are rolling through the entire league. We're going to make a, a change here. We're going to play a bit more defensive um, and play in this back three so that we – I mean, frankly, they did it so that they could push Young and Juan Bissaka higher and neutralize Robertson and Alexander-Arnold. It's one thing to do that than to come in against RB Leipzig and, and say, like, we're going to play in this more defensive formation. And, like, now a back three isn't necessarily inherently a defensive formation. You could be very attacking out of it. United aren't. That's just the reality of it. United aren't. Um, so but, like, is – if you think about who like RB Leipzig is like, they're the team that are trying to s- cause an upset and advance out of this group with Manchester United and, and PSG. They just got the three points that they needed to get at home to Istanbul. Bus actually here, like they're coming old Trafford to be like a points, great result. So you need to take that and be like, if you're going to play with any kind of hesitation, because you know, anything less than coming out for all three points, we need to punish you for that. Do you think then that this is the game where you finally need to have both Pogba and Bruno back on the pitch together? Because, I mean, as as we've seen at the last 20 minutes of the past three matches, you know, that's when Manchester United are most creative, not just, you know, counterattacking opportunities, but comfortable possessing in the opponent's third and moving in and around the box, trying to open things up. And with, you know, ideally Edinson Cavani starting, you would have a presence in the box as well with Marcus Rashford maybe in a more comfortable position on the left wing. Uh, to me, like this is the game where you have to rest Rashford. I frankly, I thought Rashford's been a little poor the last few games. His decision-making has been off. He, he's been so like when he plays out, when he goes out on the left, it, it seems like he's been actively trying to uh, neutralize Luke Shaw himself by like giving Shaw no space. I don't know if I love the idea of Martial coming, uh, moving back to the left wing though. Like, I think Martial really is dead set on being a striker and doesn't want to be moved back. And I don't think he's as good on the left wing as he is as a striker. Maybe then uh, 4 2 2 2 to take out RB Leipzig with, uh, you know, Martial maybe working off of Edinson Cavani as, a number, as the primary number nine and kind of, you know, working back and getting involved in the midfield. I actually don't think that this is a bad game to go to the diamond. And try to absorb pressure what? there. Yeah, so... The the diamond? Scroll at the bottom of the screen. Polly endorses diamond. No, because I'm not endorsing the diamond everybody wants. The diamond everybody wants is somebody sitting deep with Pogba, um, Bruno, and Von de Beek playing as that three. I'm endorsing a diamond that's Matic, Fred... Pogba and either Bruno or Van de Beek with Martial and Cavani up, up, up front and seeing how that goes, um, which would look a lot like your 4-2-2-2. Um, and then Tellez can provide you your width on that left side. 
because it, it first of all it also it works it, it probably works better with Cavani than it it certainly than it would it certainly doesn't work with Rashford and and Martial and Rashford or Greenwood or Greenwood and Martial because Greenwood they you know nobody none of those three guys can play as a right striker in a two so you're hoping that Cavani can and, and that maybe Martial plays a bit more off of him and that Pogba plays on the left and whoever's playing on the and the t- at the top of the diamond kind of veers a little bit more to the right. So it does look like that 4 2 2 2. I wouldn't think that this is the worst game to do that in because I, I feel like you need to make some changes in this game. Like you, you give a start to Von de Beek and Matic and Tellez. Like these are, you know, this isn't like rotating your squad anymore to like the likes of Lingard and Pereira and McTominay. Like these are players who deserve to be playing in the Champions League. And I mean, RB Leipzig is. A lot of smoke and mirrors right now. They're there's three way there, you know, their wins right now. They're the best team they've beaten is Augsburg. They you know, Mines, they got a three one win on the opening day of the season. Mines are sitting in last place. Um they're they recently their biggest win, four 0 over Schalk. Schalk are second to last. Uh then they beat Istanbul, Basak Jahir. Nobody's gonna argue when I say they're the the weakest of the three teams in the group. And then last week, uh they squeezed by Hertha who are like 15th in the Bundesliga. They've only, they've been beating up on the bottom of the West Ham of the Bundesliga. Well, West Ham are beating everybody in the Premier League. So, but, um, you know, their one tough test against Bayer Leverkusen, they only kept, they only had 42% of the ball. They, you know, it was a one, one draw. I think they're there. They're there for the taking. And like, they're also there with like, you can, you can make some changes to the team because the players you're bringing in are all of a sudden quality players. It's not like you're, rotating the squad and trying to hide deficiencies. Yeah, and th- this is a team that's, I mean, kind of lost their attacking identity a little bit. Marcel Sabitzer has not started the last few games. I'm assuming it's because he's been banged up or something. Um, they've changed up formation. Timo Werner, who is the focal point of their attack, is gone. And uh, you know Patrick Schick, who is their other striker they paired with Werner last season, I think is also gone. So... A very new look Leipzig. Um, and, you know, to be honest, not a team that I watched a whole lot of until last season. So my understanding of them is also completely different now. But, I mean, uh, really good, but they also haven't played anybody. So, yeah. If I, if I were to bring back my, sh- uh, my, my oopsie from, uh, <laughs> earlier in the year when we were doing the podcast, you know, I mean, if Manchester United just got to do what's best for them, and I, I don't necessarily know that you got a game plan that much. Just like control the game yourselves. I mean, it's it's a European night in Old Trafford. You know, the atmosphere is going to be electric. <laughs> right, and well, yeah. <laughs> and and the reason I suggest like you need uh, why you could do this diamond is like you you still have to have that second more defensive player in the team. So like it'll it would work. If you have Fred next to Matic, I don't think it would work with McTominay and Matic. I don't think it work, would work with Fred and McTominay. And I, and I don't think it would work with, you know, Pogba. Maybe it, w- maybe it would work with Pogba playing as the deeper one and, and Von de Beek and Bruno ahead of him. But, like, you're, you're, you're also just you're trying to hide the fact that we don't have a right wing, which is what we're going to have to do all season long until Palestri can, do, can earn a, a chance to play. Or um, Traore. Just throwing another, I guess, idea for Europe out there. Do you think that a Van de Beek, Bruno, and Pogba midfield would work as kind of like a tree vote system? 
where it's not one of them is specifically defensive or attacking. I mean, the problem with that is, is one of them has to play more, has to play very defensive, which is not either one of their skill sets. The another one has to play more defensive. So like you're taking three players who are attacking players and you're putting them into situations to at least at one and a half of them are not in a situation to get the best out of their talents. Put Van de Beek on right wing. <laughs> he gets hey, into I, space. Yeah, I, I mean, he's done that a couple times, and I think... He's got the know, work rate. If, if uh, you're going to play, like, Bruno or Van de Beek, if they're going to play like Mata does when he plays on the right wing, then one of them should be starting there. It's just a matter like, we saw Bruno go out there on Saturday, and he just didn't... He stopped playing like Bruno. He just, you know, went like, oh, right wing? All right, I'll play like a right winger. And it's like, that's not what we want you to do. Wait, would that be a reason that maybe if you were to almost do a coin toss for that, would you rather put Van de Beek on the right wings that way? Because also, like, Bruno doesn't tend to make all these penetrating runs into the box, whereas, like, Van de Beek kind of is right. more of that space finder. To the box, which is why he's not really a number 10. He's more of a number 8. Yeah. He likes to play in that, in that space above the box. Um, and I mean, Von de Beek likes to get in the box. Pogba likes to get in the box. That's what like, you want. Ten. If we want to get freaky, do you, do you like the idea of maybe like a, a Fred Bruno pivot with Pogba at the 10, Van de Beek on the uh, right side? I do like that. I, there you go. I, I, I probably want Pogba and Fred in the pivot. Um, probably lose some chem points for putting Bruno in a deeper role, too. They all play for the same team. No, but that's where Bruno thrives. That is yeah. Bruno's act role like he struggles when he plays next to Matic and he struggles when he plays next to McTominay because sometimes it's McTominay deeper and then Bruno struggles because you're asking him to do more passing than than he's capable of sometimes Bruno plays deeper and then United struggle because you're asking McTominay to do more passing than he's capable of and when he plays next to Matic he struggles because you're asking him to do more like he's at his best when he win the ball back and go oh Pogba, you're right here. Here's here's a simple six-yard pass to Pogba. Or, oh, Bruno, you're eight yards ahead of me? Eight-yard, simple eight-yard pass to Bruno. It's when he's next to McTominay and, and Matic where all of a sudden it's like, no, you actually, like, they're going to make the – like, Matic go win the ball back and he's going to give it to you and now you need to find a place to distribute it. Like, that's not his game. So, yeah, by all means, moving back. I think you, I think you have to rest Rashford here because you can. Um, like, it's a good game – to get Cavani his first start and Martial can play. Even if you don't start um, Cavani, Martial, you know, can play and he can't play at the weekend. Mm-hmm. I just don't like the idea of putting Martial back on the left side. Cause like you want Martial getting into the middle. That's where he's at his best. Like, and you know, looking ahead to Arsenal, that is another game where it, it seems like Ali may let them possess a bit and try and hit him on the counter. Um, put Jesse Lingard in. That game against Arsenal is going to be disgusting. It's not like last week because it's going to be Ali and Mikel Arteta overthinking things. And Mikel Arteta, I mean, he doesn't, Arsenal don't create anything this year. They are big time, like, sit back and, like, so, like, there won't be space. I, I don't know how Ali's going to, I don't like our chances in it because I don't like the matchup. I don't know how Ali's going to approach I mean, it because. We haven't beaten Arsenal in, what, two years now? Three? No, uh, we beat him in the FA Cup in 1819. Uh, by 
sitting back, absorbing pressure and hitting him on the counter with the yeah. diamond, not as an offensive diamond, as a very defensive diamond. Well, against Arsenal, do you like the idea of starting uh, Cavani up against a uh, former PSG teammate, David Luiz? I'm sure he knows some some tricks. <laughs> I don't hate it. Certainly don't hate it. Vamos El Matador. Just, yeah. Like, we're not going to have space to counter against Arsenal, but also, like, you know, they're they're solid defensively, and they I mean they are just so boring, and I, I think we're they're good at making the game boring because Arteta's a smart guy, but he overthinks it and always gonna overthink it. I I think we're in for like a very boring game. Yeah. Not to mention like Aubameyang has stunk this year, so of course he'll probably score a goal or two against us. Yeah, well he finally got that new contract, so maybe he's gonna just have a stinker season. It would be our luck that Nicola Pepe hits like an absolute fucking banger. He scored against us last year. Yeah, he did. <laughs> it, when he was looking absolutely rotten, he goes I and... Mean, so I had like a phenomenal game last year, and like three weeks later, he's out of the team. Yep. And I, I think an interesting one for that, though, is we haven't played Arsenal with Bruno Fernandes yet. Uh, so that's going to be interesting to see how different things are, because uh, the last time we played them, what our midfield was Magic Fred and Andres Pereira. January 1st so like we had just yeah. done the, the like no one can move yeah. you know like we haven't played a good game like we Arsenal have gotten us at the best time to get us like the last three years um you know we got them at the end of the festive period so we were exhausted before that we got them uh, Pogba actually uh, played that yeah. game but he was yeah on one he foot. was yeah he was on one foot Rashford got hurt the week before against West Ham um and Played that game like on one foot. That oh, that was such an ugly, disgusting game that we should have won. But Tonzebi gave the ball to Obama. Yeah. All right, uh, let's go ahead is... and cut this then, and we don't have to pod next week. We just replay this part. <laughs> There's your Arsenal preview. Oh, Tonzebi gave it away. Yeah. Uh, so that's gonna do it uh, for this episode. Uh, yeah, be sure to follow us on Twitter and. Keep an uh, eye out for Ollie's, tacti- er, Ollie. Polly's tactical analysis. Polly Gunner Solskjaer. Polly's Ollie tactical analysis, uh, which uh, I, I assume that's what you're about to go finish writing, right? I have to go start writing it. Yeah. I so, think I might uh, first, but who knows? I don't know. But <laughs> it's not as uh, glowing on Ollie as they usually are. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've been calling. Um, yeah, before we close it out, I just want to do a quick tribute to, I, I'm sure you guys have seen it on my, um, social media feed, the soccer podcasting world, uh, lost a legend over this past week, Daryl Grove. Um, he was the co-host of the total soccer show. Um, without him really knowing, I never had the opportunity to really meet him despite him being in Richmond. Uh, I got starstruck the one time I had a chance to meet him. And so I didn't say hello, but uh, had a great influence on me. I've been listening to that podcast for a long time. Um, so I want to give a shout out to, to Daryl, who unfortunately um, lost his battle with cancer, but it's been incredible in the both the American soccer community as well as the international soccer community. So big shout out to Daryl Grove. Yeah. Uh, was never a total soccer listener, but I was aware of them and of Daryl. Uh, they were definitely big names in the podcasting community and this past weekend it's been touching seeing how many people uh were impacted by that show and by daryl and his advice and you know guidance and influence for people coming up in uh you know a passionate but 
you know, difficult industry. So yeah, rest in peace. Yep.